Kids, it's time to head off to your classrooms and, and, and learn some stuff with Rihanna there. Have a good time. Well, I want to read the scriptures to, to the big kids right now. Uh, it says this, starting in uh, chapter uh, of Luke uh, chapter uh, 14. Uh, one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they remained silent. And he took him, and he healed him, and he sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen onto a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's, it's good to be with you all today, welcome to Crosswinds Church. If we've not met before, my, my name is Ken, and I serve here as the, the pastor of Crosswinds. And, you know, I am very excited today that, there's, that, that, that Crosswinds is a church where there's a lot of goodness. And over, over the, the weekend uh, on Saturday, I'm excited that our church did a good thing. Um, and our volunteers that came that weren't even part of our church did a good thing. We packed 10,000 meals to send to the hungry in Montfranc-Cady, one of the poorest places in the world. Let's give a, a big hand to our volunteers that, that came out and, and, and those who gave to that effort, because there were some that couldn't be there that, that gave to that effort as well and um, that made it possible. And I especially want to thank Mike, who, who led the vision of that and led the, the event. Let's give a big hand to Mike Hoffman, our bass player, who uh, is also the... Uh, uh, director of the New Life for Haiti now, is that, is that correct? Yeah. Chairman of the board. And uh, he uh, um, you know, had the vision for us doing that here at Crosswinds, and it's been a great event. That's the third time we've packed meals. So, so far, I think we've sent 34,000 meals or something to Haiti. And so that's good. Um, friends, today our message title is Made to be Good. Do you realize that you were made to be good? You know, sometimes we talk in theology, we, we don't say that kind of thing very effectively, that you were made to be good. Some theological systems like Calvinism start really at the depravity of man. And often in church we talk about the fall of man or, or the, the sinful nature of man. But the truth is, every one of us do sin, uh, according to the Bible. We all depart from God's perfect design. But at Crosswinds, we use a, a gospel illustration called the three circles. And what I like about it, it, it does not start with the problem of our sin. It starts where the Bible starts. It starts with God's design, his original design. And I'm here to tell you, you were designed to be good. Amen. You were designed to be good, and I want to prove that to you because the beginning of the Bible starts out this way in Genesis uh, chapter 1 and verse 31. It says, and God saw that everything he made, and behold, it was very good. Mankind was included in that. It was very good. And then there was evening, and there was morning, and the sixth day, Genesis 1.31. So you were made to be good. Actually, God says you were made to be very good. So the Bible does not start on the depravity of man. It starts with God's, women, God's design for men and women to be good. See, we were made in God's image. And, and the Bible says that God is the only thing that is truly good. 
And oh yes, we, we fell and have fallen into sin. But I want to say again, you were designed for goodness. You know, sin is a reality for each one of us. Uh, but before any of us ever sinned, God desired and made a plan for us to be good. The Bible actually says this in Ephesians 1. It says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he has blessed us in the beloved. You were made to be good and to be loved. Now, that was a really long sentence, wasn't it? 88 words Paul packed into that sentence uh, at the book, opening of the book of Ephesians. And, and, and what that is saying is that even though you have sinned, God thinks you're good enough to be his own son and daughter. He thought that of that before you ever sinned. He planned to redeem you to be good like he is. He sacrificed his own son to make that happen. And, and Jesus planned it with him. So before you got out of the box or your mother's womb, God decided that you were made to be good. The truth is, his view of you and his design for you is positive. Now, the truth is that I often think negatively about myself. Anybody relate? I often sometimes think negatively about others. It's very easy for me to focus on all the things I do wrong or that others do wrong. And um, I can start to believe easily the wrong things about who God made me to be and who God made others to be. And that can focus me on trying to avoid doing the wrong things in life instead of focusing on what I could do that is right. But as uh, believers, the Bible tells us this in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, we were made to be good. In Christ, we were actually remade to be even better, be really good. The, the Christian life is not about avoiding sin. It, it's about doing what we were designed for. I, I think we all can kind of spend more time thinking about what is right or wrong with this, or we can spend our time thinking about what is right or wrong with others around us. We, we can spend more time than that than actually thinking about and doing what we were made for. Uh, our, our time is often spent either worrying about how bad the world is out there or worrying about how much darkness there's inside of us that limits our lives. We mentally focus on the sin or the depravity instead of who we are made to be. So our, our thinking often is, is, is very off. So today, let's learn from Jesus how he thinks 
in his word. Open again to Luke chapter 14. We'll, we'll unpack starting in verse 1. It says, One Sabbath, when he went out to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. First thing I see is Jesus didn't avoid people because they were sinners. Instead, he focused on who they were designed to be, good. Now, the Pharisees, they didn't think very good of Jesus. That's not what they were doing. They were always looking for the bad in him. They were always trying to catch him in a mistake. Look at what the text says here. It says they were watching him carefully. Actually, in the Greek, it means they were spying on him. You know, it was a negative context in the word. They were spying him. These religious people are waiting for Jesus to screw up. So, so what is your general attitude out there? Are, are, are you looking to catch someone doing good or expecting them to do wrong? Verse 2 says, And behold, a man um, there was, uh, behold, there was a man before whom who had dropsy. Now, first, Jesus accepted this invitation to some religious people's house that he knew would be critical of him and were out to get him, but he did this because he loved them. He was not too critical of them to accept an invitation. Uh, are, are you sometimes too critical of how others think or how others behave to accept an invitation to their house to break bread with them? Or do you not give an invitation to those that you believe think or act wrongly? You know, one of the leaders of the Pharisees here did invite Jesus over for a meal. And this was good. You know, the Pharisees were very concerned about appearing good on the outside. But the inside motive of the Pharisees is suspect here. Because you would not typically invite a popular rabbi like Jesus over and have a man with dropsy there. Because the rulers of the Pharisees would have been very concerned about breaking ceremonial laws and maybe having him or his guests sin especially on the Sabbath. You know, dropsy is what we call today edema, which is the swelling caused by excess fluid. Um, it can affect any part of the body, but you tend to notice it more in people's hands and feet. And it's caused by a serious underlying medical condition like heart failure or uh, lungs or, or liver or kidney disease. And, and that swelling can make the skin ready, red and, and shiny and even cause ruptures and oozing um, that, that, that could have made um, this Pharisee and his guests unclean based on the Jewish law. And, and that's not at all what you want to have when you're having a guest like Jesus, a rabbi, a famous rabbi, over for dinner. Unless your motivation is to test that rabbi and see if you can get him to sin. Do, do you see the motive here? Jesus went expecting good to come from this but he was set up he was set up and, and since he's God he knew he was being set up before he went see the Pharisees knew that Jesus had a flaw if Jesus had a flaw it was that he was too compassionate towards the broken and the sinners and, and so they thought they could catch him the, the word Pharisee actually means separate and, and usually Pharisees tried to stay separate from those that they thought were the riffraff. But Jesus did not because he made everybody to be good. 
Do you, do you think like Jesus, that everyone, even those you don't like, have good and deserve good because they are made in the image of God? Or are you afraid that their sin might ooze out on you or your family members? Are you a separatist because of the sin of others? Or are you out there looking for the good? And, and Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? See, Jesus sees this sinful attitude in the Pharisees. He sees what's going on here with the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, that they're trying to trap him. But more importantly, he sees the suffering of this man with a serious medical condition. See, sin has made this world a, a broken place with sickness and disease, but Jesus does not run, run away from the brokenness. Instead, he takes the opportunity to teach his creation how to be good. See, the Pharisees probably don't even see the pain that this man is in. He's just a pawn. They're, they're, they're just too busy trying to catch Jesus in his sin. But if you know something, Jesus doesn't condemn the Pharisees of their sinful attitudes. Instead, he asks them a great question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, if you read the scriptures, you will often see the Pharisees asking Jesus um, if what him and his disciples are doing is lawful. And they're doing that because they're trying to separate themselves from sin. But here's the problem, friends. You can't separate yourself from sin because it's in you. That's what the Apostle Paul said, a man who used to be a Pharisee. Actually, Paul said he was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a really great one, trained by the best rabbi Gamaliel of his day. The other Pharisees would have been impressed by his former resume of supposedly avoiding sin. But Paul said this about himself in Romans, um, he said, Romans 7, verse 19, he says, For the, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells in me. I should have highlighted up there, no longer I who did it. Paul recognizes that sin lives in us that we do have a sin nature, but he also recognizes sin was not his ultimate identity. He was made to be good, made in God's image. And because Jesus had saved Paul at this point, he was remade eternally good. Beloved, we don't get rid of sin by trying to avoid it. You, you can't live in this world avoiding it and be successful unless you're dead. See, dead people don't sin because they don't do anything, right? See, the Bible says the wage of sin is death. So if you're focused on removing your sin, what's going to happen to you is you're going to die. If you're, if you're in your own effort of trying to remove your own sin, you're going to die because we tend to move towards what we focus on. See, the Pharisees are trying to avoid sin, and so they sin in trying to catch Jesus in sin. See what they're doing? They're sinning. And their sin is killing them. It's taking joy 
and beauty out of their lives. But Jesus said this, I, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is not avoiding life. He's going to parties. He's hanging out with the Pharisees, and he's also hanging out with the sinners. He's being in their homes. He's getting to know people. Because Jesus knew his identity. He knew who he was. He knew he was good, so it didn't matter who he was hanging around with. Could, could it be that the Pharisees' fears that they might be bad is what actually made them to avoid sinners? You know, I've learned a simple truth as I've walked with Jesus this past 30 years or so. If you do the do, you don't do the don't. It's just a very simple way to think about it. Jesus was doing the do. He was focused on being obedient to his father. So Jesus was always focused on that. He did not sin. You know, Jesus prayed a, a high priestly prayer for us in John 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. See, mostly Jesus didn't merely tell people, hey, avoid sin. Stay away from sin. Instead, most of the time, he gave them positive things to do to avoid sin, like, come follow me. Go and tell. Yes, sometimes he said, go and sin no more. But mostly, he told us to start doing something good. Because sin is not avoided in life. It's replaced. A bad habit you can't get out of unless you replace it with a good habit. And when, when Jesus prayed for us, he asked God to keep us in his word or in his truth, that that would purify us. He asked God to keep us together as a group in fellowship because that had a purifying effect. He asked God to keep us in the world, sharing his message because that purified us. He did not ask us to avoid people that are sinful. Sin in our lives, friends, is not solved by subtraction. It's solved by addition, adding God to the mix, which is what really repentance is. It's when we're turned to him. See, the religious people ask, how do we avoid sin? But the redeemed people focus on having more of him. Being good, doing good, reading about what's good. Friends, it won't save you to do good. But it will help remind you who you are and who you were made to be. And, and Jesus knows that the Pharisees focus on the don't. That's where their focus is. And that's why he asks, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Because he's wanting them to think. And you know what? Jesus is actually appealing to the good in them in his question. He could just say, you guys are trying to trap me. You're really sinful. You're judging everybody else. That's really sinful. Instead, he asks a question to appeal to the good nature of the Pharisees. But they remained silent. And so he took and he healed the man and sent him away. Jesus answered the questions in his due. They answered the question in their silence. See, the legalist is focused on asking the question, not, is this right? Or asking the question, is it right? Not necessarily doing what is right. They ask the question, is it right? But they're not necessarily doing what is right. 
See, the Pharisees were devoted students of the law. They loved God's law, which is good. God's design is perfect, and we should love God's word as part of our due. The problem was they did not love what God's law was for, people, to guide people back to God. They, they saw God's law as rules and a scorecard. But God's law instead for us is to be a mirror. It's a mirror that shows us our bad attitudes or our bad behaviors so that we'll return to God and get cleaned up. The the, the Pharisees instead used it as a glaring light to shine on the darkness of others, which kept others from looking at the darkness within them. See, a legalist often tries to justify themselves by condemning the sin of someone else. They use the knowledge of the law as a shield to cover their own sin. You know, in our country, we have laws that, that govern us. And if you just ask yourself the question, is it legal? That could be an excuse to live a really unmoral life. If you just did what was legal, you could be really immoral. There's, there's a much tougher question. Is this the highest good I could be doing? See, a good lawyer can make an argument to justify just about anything and make it appear good, right, Mike? (laughs) But that still doesn't make it good. Just because somebody is justified, it doesn't make it good. You may get away with cheating on your taxes, but that doesn't change the fact that you're a thief. Going to a strip club in this country might be legal, but that doesn't mean you're not cheating on your wife or objectifying someone made in God's image because of your lust. You may win a lawsuit, but that doesn't make your actions just or good. You know, maybe the Pharisees thought they won the argument by staying silent, by not saying anything that could possibly incriminate them or others as wrong. Jesus risked here. he risked speaking up and, and, and doing good. He cared for the man who was sick. And you know what? Jesus won the argument by showing compassion instead of judgment. He didn't need a lawyer because he knew the basis of God's law better than these religious men. You know, Jesus was once asked by a lawyer, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, This is the first, the great, and the first commandment. And the second is like it, or exactly the same. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things, all the commandments, on, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Everything is, if you just obey those two things, you'd have it all. See, the right question is not whether it's legal, whether I can get away with it the right question is is it love is it love that's what we should ask ourselves does it show love for god does it show love for others does it show love for me instead of jesus condemning them for not being loving jesus simply follows up with another question he says said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? See, Jesus' question appeals 
to the goodness and the love that these men were made for. He was asking them to look inside, appeal to their own conscience. A man who loves his son will save him from a well, whether it's the Sabbath or not, because of his love. A a man, even if it's illegal for him to do that, he will do it. A man will care for a domesticated animal because it's right to be compassionate to your animal because of his compassion. It's appealing to the Pharisees' good nature. While they were religious men that were very legalistic and currently in sin, Jesus knew that he still made them to be good, and he could appeal to the goodness that was in them. See, Jesus knew people were not good or or bad. They're not a good or bad equation. Instead, there's both goodness and badness in all of us. Now, now we need to be kind of careful here because some could say, oh, we just need to do what feels good. What what feels like love to me. But but that's not entirely the point Jesus is making because our, our feelings lie to us about what is good and bad. Jesus is actually supporting his compassion on the man with dropsy. He didn't break a law. He's actually supporting it based on his father's law in the Torah, something all these men claim to believe in. It says this in Deuteronomy 22.4, You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up again even on a Sabbath. See, compassion, legally, is God's number one rule. And and Jesus helped them to see that, that all of God's law is based on his love for us, even when we don't feel like it is, because our feelings lie. The, the, The Pharisees thought obeying the Sabbath was the loving thing to do for God. But actually showing love to others is what is paramount to God. That's what shows love to God because it's loving what God loves. Consider what Jesus said is the greatest commandment. That it's about loving your Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself that those two are intertwined. Jesus told the, uh, some other Pharisees one time the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath was something that God gave us because he loved man to show his love and compassion by by giving us rest from the stresses of life. So healing a man on the Sabbath demonstrates what the Sabbath is really all about in the first place. And, And because Jesus appealed to their good conscience and the moral law, in one fell swoop, it neutralized any argument against him you know if he had called out the pharisees as sinners for their initially wrong theological views it probably would have continued the debate but it silenced everything because it says that in the verse it says they could not reply to these things could hear a pin drop the truth is friends we're all legalists at times we can be tempted to legalism even atheists can be legalists. Actually, I found them often to be more legalistic than many Christians. One proof that God exists is what the Pharisees were doing, trying to prove themselves right. 
Because if we care what is right, that actually, I believe, proves that we are made to be good. See, there's a compelling moral argument for the existence of God. A human experience of morality is observed in life. God is the best or only explanation for this moral experience. Therefore, God exists. So do all human beings have some sense of morality? I would say yes. Now, not everyone, including me, lives by their sense of morality all the time. But it seems like all cultures and people have certain moral truths that they value, don't they? You know, there are some anthropologists at the University of Oxford, and they discovered what they believe are seven universal moral truths. They looked at 60 different societies all over the world, uh, comprising over 600,000 words from their texts and over 600 other sources, and they found these commonalities between those cultures. Love your family, help your group, return favors, be brave, defer to authority, be fair, and respect others' property. These are the things that each of those 60 societies would consider good. They would be in agreement that those are good. No matter what religion they practiced, no matter what language they spoke. I, I, I think all of those, those things, those values, wouldn't they fit into Jesus' golden rule? Love your neighbor as yourself or, or be compassionate to others. What would explain this? If moral truth was not objective, objective means that it it does not come from our opinions and our feelings. See, because many in our world today believe morals are subjective, that they're based and influenced by a a person's independent uh, feelings, tastes, cultures, or opinions. In other words, your truth is your truth, and, and my truth is my truth based on my experience and what I've been through. And that's how most people think out there. But but that Oxford study seems to point to certain objective truths that, that don't depend on anyone's specific experience or culture. Now, an atheist might explain this by saying that that formed through an evolutionary process, that these values evolved because they were best for society. But friends, if they evolved, why are the values so similar across Cultures that are so different and languages and societies that are so different from all over the world. Be, because if, if there is no God, then what they're saying is natural selection drives everything. Our, our morals would be formed by what is best to propagate the species of man. Now, in the animal kingdom, that does seem to be the rule. If a male bull wants to copulate with another female... There's no moral outrage, no matter how many he wants. But if he, and if he copulates with a, a female that's unwilling, we don't call it rape. There's, there's no moral outrage to either thing in the animal kingdom. But you know, in every society, if I wanted to sleep with your wife, you would say that was wrong. And if I forced her, you would call it rape, and you'd want me punished. Why would you say that's wrong? Even atheists would say that would be wrong because most true atheists are very moral people in the sense that they have strong values about what they believe is right and wrong. Most people seem to have a a great moral, or, or atheists often have great moral outrage about God 
and about religions and how man's sin nature has led us in religion often to do what is wrong, to be uncompassionate in the name of religion. But even if you call religion evil, you're, you're saying there's evil. And if you're saying there's evil, you're saying that there's something that is a greater good. Most atheists would approach morality subjectively because they or other humans they respect are the gods that determine what is moral. What is interesting, though, is most atheists kind of have a common moral framework or values just like each other. Uh, many of those people who are atheists seek to do good. Many of them live very compassionately with others. And often, moral compassion is actually the source of why they're atheists. See, they're not unlike the Pharisees looking for Jesus, God, or religious people to do something they believe is wrong and quickly point it out. But, but Jesus' logical argument to the Pharisees, I believe, would also be compelling to an atheist to bring them into agreement with him. Because if he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath would not immediately pull him out? And they would agree with that compassion and concern for others that is greater than any religion, even the religion of atheism. And now I know I just made some atheism, atheists really mad by saying that their values are a religion. But why are they mad? If my biology just evolved to be a religious belief in God and their biology just evolved to be a belief in atheism, then there really is no good or evil. So what is there to be mad about? Because there's no good, so how could I do anything bad to offend them? Does that make sense? We were made to be both good, and, and, and we, you know, the, the atheists were made to be good, the, the Christians were made to be good, the Muslims were made to be good, and, and we all have that sense of a moral good existing in all of us. Actually, the Apostle Paul says that in Romans 2, 14 through 15. He says, when Gentiles, unbelievers, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, which is act compassionately, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law, they show that the works of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Romans 2, 14 through 15. The fact is that we as human have a sense of evil, and if we have that sense of evil, that's a proof that there's a God. Let me state that same classical moral argument negatively. If God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist. Objective moral values and duties do exist in our world. Therefore, God exists. So it's not fruitful to argue with an atheist based on a religious belief that gives you moral superiority. That's not fruitful. 
actually the Pharisees here seem to be more morally disciplined than most people in their society. Yet they're the ones betraying Jesus, setting up a trap to prove him wrong so they could condemn him. And then Jesus' compassionate action appealed to the good part of their nature, silenced them all, and won the argument. You could hear a pin drop. You know, I experienced this once. I was debating two very hostile atheists. They were attacking me and vilifying me for being a Christian. And instead of fighting them and trying to stand up in some way, I said to them, I think it's interesting you believe my beliefs make me and other people evil. This was my week. Because of my relationship with Jesus, it led me to care for a sick friend, help some hurting people pay their rent, pack 10,000 meals for hungry people in Haiti, and encourage some youths and be faithful to my wife. Does that sound like evil to you? What has your atheism led you to do this week? It got really silent. (laughs) There was no more attack. You could hear a pin drop. I appealed to their goodness, the goodness that we both valued because we were both made to be good. Now, if there is an objective moral good outside of us, if if we say that there's an objective moral good outside of us, then friends, aren't we accountable to it? Here's here's another truth. The, The Pharisees, religious people, atheists, you and I, none of us can claim moral superiority because we all fail in our compassion towards others and our love towards God, even if we say we love God. Many Christians are practical atheists. They actually seem to believe truth is subjective. The truths only apply based on what seems right to them. But the truth is, truth is objective. It's outside of us. And we're all accountable to it. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So he's claiming to be the objective truth. And, and, And God is right to judge us for our sins because we all fall short of his glorious good. And and, and so we need to be saved from the moral consequences of breaking divine law. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2.8, the wage, I'm sorry, in in, in Romans 6.23, the wage of sin is death. The wage of sin is death. That is what we all deserve because we have morally failed objectively what God has set up. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The message of the Bible is grace because God's highest law is one of compassion. See, Jesus was perfectly moral good. And because God loves what he has made to be good, he did not want that to perish in hell. He does not want you to perish in hell for sin. So he sent Jesus not to win the moral argument, not to debate, but to live as a perfect example of what love is and then sacrifice himself on a Roman cross. And this was the supreme act of compassion to those who did not deserve it like me and you, and the atheists, and the Muslims, and everybody. He did that 
so he could remake us good because our goodness had been corrupted by our sin. A great exchange happened when he died on the cross. God's own sinless son was placed on a cross and our sins, past, present, and future, died on that cross with him. And then three days later, he rose alive again, which proved to the world that the curse for sin was over, that it was forgiven, and that we could now be who God made us to be, that all condemnation of our sin was gone. But it was only for those that would receive that and believe in what he has done for them. If, they will, if we will believe that, he will remake us good forever. Today, no matter what you say you believe about God, could, could you silence an atheist, not by what you say, not by your debating skills, but by your love and your compassion for others? Or are you more like the Pharisee trying to catch others, trying to do something wrong to prove that you're morally superior? If so, today repent. And look to the source of all goodness, the one who made you to be good. And trust in him, only him, to, to remake you by his son's goodness forever, by, by faith in what Jesus has done for you. That, that one thing he did for you that, 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 that morally you could never do. He, he made you new. See, God's kindness was meant to lead us to repentance. To lead him back, to lead us back to him to make us fully good. His compassion is what ends the argument. It ends our argument with sin. Today, will you trust, will you turn from any kind of moral superiority to complete trust in what God has intended for you, made you to be, and what he is planning to remake you to be? Today, will you put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? And stop trying to avoid your sin, but, but follow him. Do what he tells you to do. If you'll do that, you'll be forgiven of all your sin and you will be given the gift of everlasting life. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have this example of a man completely compassionate who's also God that gives us a perfect sense of who we were made to be and, 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 and what he wants to do for us and, and just how much he loves us. And, and Father, if there's anybody today that has not received that love, may they turn right now in their heart and, and commit in their heart right now that they accept that they were made to be good and they accept that Jesus died on a cross to make them good for all eternity. May they accept that today and may they choose to make him their Lord, that they choose to follow him the best that they know how from this point forward to forever. Father, let us go forth and do good to glorify your name and remind us that we are your children, made for a purpose, 
to show this world who you are. Amen.